Good to be uh, with you again. Thanks for the invitation. If you didn't uh, pick it up at the start, uh, my name's Luke, Luke Jenner. I'm pastor at uh, Grace Baptist Church in Halifax. It's great to have fellowship with you, to share God's words with you. We're going to be looking at Ruth chapter 2, which we read earlier. And uh, so if you had it open, that would, be, that would be helpful to you, I'm sure, as we think about that this morning. There was once a young woman who, like you and me, needed rescuing. Not everyone knows that they need rescuing. Probably uh, many people in the world don't think that they do. And some people feel that they need rescuing, but they don't know how to be. Maybe you're here today and you feel that way. Maybe you know you need rescue, maybe you don't. But the fact is, the Bible says we all do. Now, this young woman's story then is a wonderful example of what can happen even when you feel like you're at a complete dead end and you think, how could I ever be rescued? Because she was a woman who one way or another had ended up earning an income by selling her body to men one night at a time. But then everything changed for her one day because one day her country was invaded and she ended up um, in a situation where her city was was under siege by an invading army. And um, she realized that her whole outlook on life had been wrong because the invasion was exactly what her country needed. The place where she lived was in fact full of the, the bad guys and the people who were invading were in fact the good guys who had come uh, to, to do what was right. Uh, this woman's name was Rahab. Uh, she's found in the Bible. And uh, you may have heard of her story. For her, this invasion of her country and this siege of her city uh, was in fact uh, the beginning of liberation for her, rescue and freedom, though it didn't look like that, that way at first, because she discovered that the God of the people who had come to destroy her immoral city called Jericho was in fact a God who was kind to people like her, a God who was kind to people who had gone down a complete dead end and who had messed up and who had all sorts of problems in her life. If she would just take his promises seriously and uh, take him seriously in his mercy and his love and that's exactly what she did and her life was never the same again and many of you know the story but you're thinking why am I talking about Rahab this morning aren't we talking about the book of Ruth well the reason is because God, Rahab came to love this God who had come to permanently stop the rot in her city and in her life and she came to love his people too and one of those people uh, was a young man named Salmon. And uh, one thing led to another, and uh, Salmon asked Rahab to marry him. And she, she said yes. And uh, not long after that, a, a baby boy appeared. And Rahab and Salmon, this married couple, loved this little boy. They loved him to love the God who rescues. They taught him to love the God who rescues people. They taught him to always be ready to be his instrument to rescue other people. Just as they had been rescued, they wanted to teach their little boy to be like that too. And that boy learned that lesson and he grew into a man who therefore knew how to take responsibility for himself, but for other people who needed it too. He grew into a man who learned to sacrifice his own comfort for others, to share what he had with those in need. To give to those who didn't deserve it. To look after the outcast and the stranger. And to never complain. In other words, Rahab's boy 
grew up to be a man who looked like Jesus. His name was Boaz. And it's his story that we're now looking at um, this morning in Ruth chapter 2. Following Boaz's story means coming to understand with women like Ruth or Naomi or Rahab, it means coming to understand you need outside help. I need outside help. I cannot fix myself. You cannot fix yourself. Whether you like it or not, you are every moment reliant on a rescuer who's not you. If you don't have that rescuer in your life, then there's no hope. But if you have him, then there is every hope. And for you and me, his name's not Boaz, but his name is Jesus. Our biggest problems come from the times that you don't or won't ask Jesus for help. The, the biggest problems in your life come from those times when you resist him and say, I'd rather fix myself. Is that what you're doing this morning? Is that, that, I know that's what I can do, and I'm a Christian. I say I follow Jesus and I love him, and yet there can be times in my life where I still resist him and say, thank you, Lord, but I can fix myself. Do you know what that's like? Well, this morning is a call to repent of that, to leave that behind, and to run to the rescue of Jesus. Because in him we find, as this morning's message is called, a liberating word, a, a, a word of rescue and freedom, as we've already been thinking in another context this morning. I'm saying, don't go it alone, get rescued. Okay. And I want to say a, a few things then about this rescue we discover here, outlined for us in Ruth chapter 2. First of all, rescue needs relationship and righteousness got a few R's this morning, it's just the way it's worked out. So rescue needs relationship and it needs righteousness or uprightness, integrity. So let's dive in at chapter 2 verse 1. Naomi and Ruth have arrived in Bethlehem at harvest time. I'm not going to go through the detail of what you looked at last week, but if you know the story, here they are back in Bethlehem, back in Israel. You can see at the end of chapter 1 verse 22, so Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. And then straight on we get this kind of interruption in the story to tell us about a relative of the family, Boaz. Naomi, verse 1, had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So if there's this kind of interruption where we stop talking about the barley harvest and start talking about a, a, a relative in the family, that means that Boaz must be some kind of important character in the story. And given that Naomi is still, if you remember the end of chapter one, basically in a bad place, a dark place, she's kind of miserable and bitter and troubled about what's happened to her, even though she's coming back to her homeland, um, we are, suppose, I suppose, made to wonder whether Boaz will be an answer for her, for her need and her problem, a solution, a rescuer for her in her sorrow. And if he is going to be such a rescuer, then he's going to need to be two things. He's going to need a relationship to Naomi, and he's going to need righteousness in order to save her. So, 
He needs relationship because in the way that things worked in Old Testament Israel, Naomi's position meant she couldn't just be rescued by by any old person, but she needed someone from within her clan, someone related to her, who could marry Ruth, her daughter-in-law, and continue the family line so that the family wouldn't die out, so that they could still inherit the promises that God had made to them as a family in their part of the promised land. And what do you know? But... Boaz is related to them. He's part of the clan of Elimelech. That's good news. Naomi might well have um, forgotten that um, there was somebody who could rescue her. She's in her misery. You know, she's in this kind of pit and she's maybe not remembered. There's somebody who could help. But we, the reader, are being told there is someone who's going to be able to help. Naomi is not at this stage taking any kind of action. She's kind of very subdued and lonely and sad at this part of the story. And it's actually Ruth who comes up with a plan for getting them going and trying to get some food and some income. Um, And that's found in verse two. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. So she's the one saying, come on, I'm gonna go and and do something about this. We need to eat. Let me go and get some food from gleaning in the fields. And Naomi just says, okay, go then. Go, my daughter, at the end of verse two. It's like she's still feeling that maybe God is not for her, but God really is because God's gonna do something through Ruth saying, Okay, let's go to this field because she'll meet somebody there. He will change their lives by rescuing them from their predicament. And what do you know again? <laughs> Verse three, she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. What do you know? The guy who's the relative, the one man who can rescue them is the very one she just chances to come into the field off. She could pick any field in Bethlehem and she finds a field belonging to the, the man who can be their redeemer, their rescuer. So God is in this, isn't he? God is in circumstances like he can be in yours to just arrange things and to bring you across the path of another Christian to encourage you or across the good news of the gospel itself to say there's a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. God does those sorts of things, doesn't he? The rescue is on. Because there's a relationship here, we're told. But relationship on its own isn't actually enough. I said rescue needs relationship and righteousness. You see, there's going to be no rescue for Naomi if, if Boaz is a part of her clan, but in fact he's a rotten apple who has only got to where he is by trampling on other people and he won't care about those who are in need. It won't work out if he's like that. He needs to be a man of righteousness. Rescue only comes through integrity and godliness and self-sacrifice and compassion. So he needs to be that kind of man, doesn't he? And thankfully, it's uh, quickly obvious that Boaz has this in spades. When you read about him, the very first word that is recorded of Boaz in terms of what he says in verse 4 is the Lord that's the first thing on his lips the Lord Yahweh is on the lips of Boaz straight away Um, verse 4 behold Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers the Lord be with you so there's this sense that he's a man straight away who takes the Lord seriously who loves him and wants the Lord to bless others too 
He obeys the liberating law of God, which commanded God's people to notice those who were in need, to consider the stranger. So verse 5, after his workers have greeted him back, he says to his young man, whose young woman is this? He notices this new girl who's in the corner of the field. He's not seen her before. And he says, oh, who's this? What's going on? What's the story? And when the story is told to her in verses 6, And verse 7 about Ruth, Boaz realises that because this woman is a foreigner from Moab, some in his field might have been tempted to shun her and to mistreat her. So he says in verse 8 to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, don't go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they're reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels, drink what the young men have drawn. He's concerned that she doesn't get abused or mistreated by people in other fields or even by those who might be around and about where his field is. You see, Boaz could could well have gone to the law because the law of God said this. could have said, the law requires me to have nothing to do with Moabites. You know, they were foreigners. They were, you know, somebody might have said, well, no, I shouldn't, I shouldn't touch them. They're dirty. There were parts of the law that might have suggested that. But Boaz realises, I think, that there's an even stronger note in the law than that. There's the note of mercy and the note of compassion to do justly, to act kindly towards those who need protection. And so he ensured it for Ruth. So he's acting with righteousness. So he's not just a relative, not just relationship there, there's righteousness as well. And so the rescue is still on. And in doing all this, then Boaz is simply following in the footsteps of the one who would become his greatest descendant, the Lord Jesus Christ. You might know from the end of the book, if you've read ahead already, that he's going to become the uh, the ancestor of, of King David, who will become the ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, we find then in Boaz this kind of shadow of, of the one who is to come. Because just like with uh, Boaz, women in the time of Jesus were still uh, vulnerable and despised centuries later. We don't like to hear that, we don't like to think about it, but the, the, the lot of women in um, the, the Greek world and the Jewish world at the time of Jesus was not, not a particularly easy or always happy one. And yet, uh, read the Gospels and find Jesus treating women with dignity and respect and as equals to men and in a way which honoured them and valued them and validated them and made them servants of his kingdom, the first ones who would see him risen from the dead and all other kinds of ways in which Jesus showed how valuable women were and stood up for them. With Jesus, you were even safer as a woman than you would be in Boaz's field because of the whole uh, glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in his dealings with women as well as with men. Of course, you don't need to be a woman to, to enjoy the safety and the love and compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't even need to be materially or physically vulnerable like Ruth and Naomi were. You need to just realize there's something even more dangerous actually than that, than being poor or being needy. The fact that you're spiritually vulnerable. That's the biggest you need, you need to realize this morning. Like me, 
you do a pretty bad job at recognising and resisting the lure of God-free living. You don't always see the lie that the devil wants to feed you to say, no, this way is better. Just ignore the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come with me. It's more fun over here. It's better over here. It's easier over here. Ignore his ways. Ignore his law. Ignore what he says is his love. It's not true. Come my way. And you and I are so easily just drawn into that. Our hearts seem to too easily be drifting off towards those kind of lines. We become our own worst enemy. What's your only hope then when that happens? Well, it's not improvement, self-improvement. I'll do better tomorrow. Our only hope lies in rescue. Someone else coming from outside saying, what a mess you're in. Let me come and get you. Let me save you. You can't make yourself better. You can't improve yourself in the eyes of God. You need a rescuer who will get you out of the pit and set you right again. To be rescued, then there needs to be a relationship, I'm saying, and there needs to be righteousness on the part of the rescuer. And in Jesus, and Jesus alone, you get both perfectly. No doubt Boaz had his flaws, made his mistakes. We're not told about any here. And yet he was a sinner like me and you, but the Lord Jesus is not like that. Perfectly related to us, came, became one of us and lived among us. He joined our broken family and took our brokenness on himself whilst at the same time staying utterly perfect, pure and righteous and holy so that he might take our sins with not having to pay for any of his own but only pay for his people's and completely pay for them on the cross so that we can be rescued and forgiven. He did all of that with towering, compassionate righteousness. So there's no one like him to offer to, to you and to me this morning, the only one who's like this. The question is then, will you let yourself be rescued? It's all too easy to stay hard-hearted and to say, I still think I can do it myself. Well, I, I want you, the word of God wants you to, to let go of that attitude and say, I'll let myself be rescued. I'll admit I need somebody from outside, this Jesus, this great Boaz, to come and redeem and liberate me from my sin and my need. So rescue, okay, it needs relationship, it needs righteousness. Now, less of what it needs, more of what it gives. It's the second thing I want you to see particularly. What does it give? Rescue gives refuge and riches. That's the second thing. Rescue gives refuge and riches. So if we pick it up again at verse 10, Ruth is astonished that this wealthy landowner should treat her in this way. He's a complete stranger, and yet he's gone out of his way to make her way easy. And I'd say immediately, it is the same with everyone who encounters Boaz's greatest heir. You, just, you, you come to Jesus and you think, how could you ever treat me so kindly, so graciously? But he has, and he does. Boaz then... He shows his true colours. We're told in verse 10, she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, said to him, why have I found favour in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? Boaz shows what he's like by not puffing himself up and going, well, yes, of course, I am the most generous benefactor here in the neighbourhood. He instead draws attention away from himself. In verse 11, he says, all that you have done for your mother-in-law 
Since the death of your husband has been fully told to me how you left your father and mother in your native land, came to a people you did not know before. So he draws attention from, away from himself. He says, I've heard what you did. And he shows that he's interested in her. But more than that, not just focusing on her, he, he shifts the focus to God. In verse 12, he says, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He wants the focus to be on the Lord, not oh, Boaz, the great philanthropist. Here I am, I'm wonderful. He says, no, the Lord. May the Lord bless you, keep you. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. You've come to take refuge, not under my wings, but under his. And yes, of course, in, in, in many ways, it would be true to say, in fact, chapter three, we'll go on to talk about that same image of, of someone coming to, to shelter under the wings of, of, of Boaz, actually. Maybe you'll look at that next time. But even though, yes, Boaz will come to be her refuge in some sense, he's saying, there's, there's someone else, there's a greater person here sheltering you. This rescue is a place of refuge for you in the Lord. And this beautiful image of God then um, behaving, as it were, like a, like a mother hen, um, sheltering her fragile young under her wings and protecting them is is so common throughout scripture particularly in the psalms but then most wonderfully and perfectly again in the lord jesus christ you read about that in matthew chapter 23 you remember perhaps when he's he's sorrowing over jerusalem and this city which he's come to with life and love and forgiveness and he says how long how, how i have longed uh, to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings but you were not willing he says See, that's the, that's the great difference. That's the great tragedy in the experience of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had to use this image of giving refuge to people as a, an image which was refused, uh, an offer of refuge which was not taken up. He could only say, oh, I'd longed for this, but you wouldn't have it. These people would not run under his wings for protection. And um, I would say to you, don't make the same mistake. He says, there are these wings and they, they shelter you and they protect you from the wrath of God and, and from the, the, the schemes of Satan and from the power of death. You come, you come and you shelter under my wings. You don't say, no, no, I don't want that. You say, yes, I, I can't do it myself. I need this refuge. You come to him. You don't resist. You don't end up with the Lord Jesus Christ saying, why, why will you die? Don't end up like that. Why won't you come? Why won't you shelter under his wings? Don't make that same stubborn mistake that Jerusalem made. You be like Ruth and come and say, oh, thank you, Boaz. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I'll come and, and take refuge where you are. It might well be humbling to admit you need that. It might well take you swallowing your pride to say, yes, I need that kind of protection. I am not able to defend myself. But you know what? When you do that and you humble yourself, you join the ranks of thousands, no, millions of people down the ages who can testify to what a happy surrender that is. To what a wonderful thing it is to be able to say, I cannot save myself, but I ran to Jesus and he's protecting me now and he always will. That's the best thing you can ever be able to say. But if you think, oh, I can stand on my own two feet, you will fall. Only he can hold you and keep you. Go to him like Ruth went to Boaz and find refuge under his wings. One of those thousands, one of those many millions of people who found that refuge. We sung one of his hymns 
this morning. Charles Wesley, just love this. Many of you will be familiar with these words, but just meditate on this again. In another of his hymns, he says this to the Lord Jesus, other refuge have I none. I don't have another refuge. Other refuge have I none. Hangs my helpless soul on thee. It's old language, isn't it? But he's saying, it's like I'm hanging on you. I, I can't do anything other than go to you. Leave, oh, leave me not alone. Still support and comfort me. All my trust on thee is stayed. All my help from thee I bring. Cover my defenseless head with the shadow of your wing. I'm defenseless, but you've got this cover and I need it from you. That's what Charles Wesley is saying. It's what thousands upon thousands of people have learned to say. It's humbling, but it's what we need. Will you do that? Will you come to him for refuge? Ruth says in verse 13, Oh, I have found favour in your eyes, my Lord. You've comforted me. You've spoken kindly to your servant, though I'm not one of your servants. She sees it. She submits to it. She doesn't say, well, you know, thank you very much, Mr. Barrows, but we can make it on our own. She doesn't say that. She says, thank you so much. I need this. You've held out a lifeline to me. I accept your refuge. So rescue gives refuge, but even more than that, I'm saying rescue gives what? Refuge and riches. We find more than just refuge, just a kind of a place to cower and hide under Christ's wings or under Boaz's for Ruth. More, we find riches as well. Refuge and riches. Abundance. That's what Ruth discovers when she comes under the great redeemer in her family. Because at lunchtime, do you see how Ruth's sitting there with her pat lunch, you know, just opening her sandwiches kind of, or whatever she was doing, rubbing a bit of grain that she found in her hands. At mealtime in verse 14, but, but Barry says, hey, hey, don't sit on your own. Come on, join, join us here. Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. He says, don't, don't, don't think you're outside the family. You're in the family. You're welcome. Come and enjoy. You're not a stranger now. You're, you're part of this. And she's invited into the circle. And not just to sit there, not just to go, oh dear, but to share in the best things, a special sauce, dip your bread in the, in the wine, you know? It's not like, well, you can sit here, but you must still eat your own sandwiches. It's come, share with us. There's abundance, there's riches here. And we, we discover she has more than enough. You see, verse 14, she sat beside the reapers, he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied. She had some left over. It wasn't like, well, I'll give you a little bit and then, you know, that'll have to do. I'll give you more, you know, more than you can eat. She has more left over. She's got stuff to take home with her. She's got a doggy bag, right? She's got more. She's got abundance. Because that's how grace works. It's not, well, I'll give you just up to what you absolutely need and no more. It's, I'll give you the world. I'll give you forgiveness of all your sins, says the Lord Jesus. I'll give you a place in my family. I'll adopt you as my child. I'll give you everything you've ever needed. I'll give you just peace with God, eternal life, a home in heaven. That's what grace does. It's abundance, isn't it? It's riches. If you're a Christian, you've come to discover that. And the evidence is obvious when she gets home at the end of the day. Um, after she's done some more gleaning in verses 15 and, and 16, 
Verse 17 says, she gleaned in the field until evening. She beat out what she gleaned. It was about an ephah of barley. Now, you know, we're living in the 21st century. What, what on earth is an ephah? Well, you, I, if you've, I don't know, I don't have a, a, a pet dog, but some of you might. Some of you might have big dogs. If you've ever gone to the supermarket, as I sometimes do, and go down the pet food aisle, you might see these massive bags of, of pet food, like dog food for big dogs. Not little dogs, you know, not like yappy dogs, but huge dogs, these big, massive things of dog food. Ever seen those? You have to put them over your shoulder, kind of walk off. That's about an ether, all right? She goes off with an ether of, of grain, doesn't just kind of carry it in a little pretty basket. She's off with this massive thing lugging on her back because she's got abundance from what she's been allowed to do. And <laughs> it's, it's about enough to feed two people for an entire week, basically. And at the sight of it, Naomi's eyes pop out of her head. Verse 19, her mother-in-law said to her, where did you clean today? <laughs> you see, where have you been? How did you get so much? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So Ruth is being taught, right? And Naomi is being reminded from long ago a lesson she's forgotten, the gospel lesson. That when God sets out to rescue you through a man like Boaz, through his son, Jesus, the result is never paltry. The result is never slender. The result is never slim pickings. The result is never trivial. It's always abundant. It's always vast. It's always overflowing. That's what the gospel does. It's a place at the table of the king and life forevermore. It's like that line uh, in the Christianity Explore course. You, someone was talking today about doing a, a course for unbelievers. Great, so pleased to hear that. Pray that God will bring people to that. You're probably, many of you, familiar with Christianity Explore. One of those courses, an option among many, no doubt. But at the middle of that course is a session on grace. And one of the lines that's most memorable there is <clears throat> where it says this, we are more sinful than we ever imagined, but more loved than we ever dreamed. Abundance, you see. Yeah, you, you've got to come to terms with your own sinfulness. You're worse than you thought. Let's just get that clear. I'm worse than I thought, and I'm worse than I even know that I am right now, because God sees even what I can't see. But we're more loved than we ever dreamed. We can't imagine the abundance of grace that God has for us. We haven't begun to begin to see the depths and the height and the width and the length of the love of Christ. But we're to pray that we see more of it. Rescue gains for us refuge and riches, riches in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so we're thinking about rescue. What does it need? Relationship and righteousness. Jesus provides that. What does it give us? It gives us refuge and riches. And then finally, uh, where does it leave us? Rescue turns ruin into recovery. Rescue turns ruin into recovery. I love this. I was touching on how um, Naomi reacts at the start of the chapter. Remember? Oh, go on then. Off you go, my daughter. Verse 2. But look at the difference between Naomi at the beginning and Naomi at the end. Verse 20, where she sees an, uh, uh, the abundance Ruth's come back with and hears who it was, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz, verse 19. Naomi then said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And she's suddenly like, hold on a minute, there's that guy, isn't there? There's Boaz. 
Maybe the, the rescue is on, she starts to think. And then, and then she says, Naomi also said to her, that man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. She, she realizes the penny drops. Something is going to happen. Ruin may well be turned here into recovery. Her hopes revive. She realizes that perhaps hope is not completely lost after all. And she starts to emerge out of her cocoon of despair and begins planning what might happen next. Before it was Ruth who took the initiative, remember? And now look at verse 21. Hmm. Oh no, 21 says, Ruth, Ruth is talking. Beside you said to me, you shall keep by my close young men until they've finished all my harvest. Then verse 22, Naomi says, ah, oh, it's good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you'll be assaulted. You see, it's kind of like, um, don't, don't risk going anywhere else, just stick with him. And so that's exactly what we're told Ruth did in verse 23. <clears throat> All because God in his goodness and sovereignty has arranged for rescue to come to this household through Boaz, the liberator, the redeemer. Of course, it remains to be seen in the rest of the book exactly how that will work out. And that's not my remit for today. You'll discover that God willing in the next couple of weeks. But I can still ask you right now, can't I? Are you clear about the rescue that Jesus brings? Are you clear that it turns ruin into recovery? I myself and... So many Christians can testify that. I've come close. I've come close to ruining myself with my stubbornness and pride. And you've probably come close to it too. Or maybe you feel, you haven't just come close, you've just gone there. You've just gone in and ruined many things. You've ruined your own life, maybe ruined other people's lives. Or you've come really close. Or you're worried that you will. And you feel maybe sometimes hopeless and despairing. But both for me and maybe for you, but certainly for so many others, you can say the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who brings us back from the brink and takes us out of that ruin and gives us recovery. In his grace, don't deserve it, do we? We weep over our sin and he comes and he says, oh, I'll, give you, I'll give you the world. I'll give you my heavenly father's love and he can be your father too. I could give you so many examples. Let me just give you one example of a particular friend of mine, a friend back in our church in Halifax. A man, um, I'll tell you his name, just easier to hang, up, hang something on there. His name is Martin. And for um, decades, by his own admission, he had ruined many people's lives. He'd ruined his own life. And particularly, he'd ruined numerous women's lives by being a serially unfaithful man. That's just, he would say that himself. He said that in his own testimony. And this friend of mine, Martin, very long story, but... At a certain point in his life, ended up on a hospital bed um, because God, in his sovereign providence, had afflicted him with an illness that came to literally within hours of killing Martin. And there he was on his hospital bed, knew nothing about the gospel of Jesus at all, absolute stranger, absolutely ignorant of all things Christian, there on the hospital bed, close to dying. And He's scrolling on his phone because he's bored. He scrolls on his phone and a video comes up on his phone and it's a video of a a Christian apologist talking about Jesus. And he stops and his thumb stops on on this video and he starts to watch it. And Martin watches this video and he thinks, this is what I've been looking for all my life. This is true. Can you imagine? He's never heard the gospel before. And he's watching on YouTube on a hospital bed and he goes, this is it. And he just couldn't forget that. 
So much so that within weeks, not only had God in his mercy rescued him from his illness and set him on the road to recovery, but even more vitally had broken Martin's proud and unfaithful heart and set him weeping, just weeping, by his bed, another bed at home, over his sins, going to sleep one night thinking, I am a, a blot on God's world. Have mercy on me, Lord, a sinner. And he wakes up in the morning and he knows that his sins have all gone. He's at peace with God. And now Martin is one of the most vibrant members of our church in Halifax and overflowing with the joy of his rescue. Because that's what God does. He takes a person who's ruined himself and ruined other people and says, you know what, the way I want to be is I'm going to rescue that person and lead them on the road to recovery. And now he's blessing others with the stuff. You know, everyone who meets Martin will hear his testimony within about two minutes. You can't stop him. He'll say, let me tell you what God did for me. Because he, he's been rescued. He's been completely turned around. And he's overflowing with the joy of it. I could, of course, tell you more stories of that, of all kinds of women and men and young people who are all different, but who all share in, in common. This person, Jesus, who came to be like them, to be in relationship with them, to be righteous for them, to give them refuge and riches and to set them on the road to recovery. I could tell you lots of stories, but I, I reckon those stories are in this room too. Right, because so many of you can say, yeah, he did that for me too. And I'm rejoicing. I hope you are rejoicing. I hope you're seeing something of the glory of Christ in your own life, the joy of your own rescue. I simply want to encourage you not to stop letting that be your story, to keep remembering what ruin you were in, what recovery set you on the way to, and to come to him again, give him the glory and the thanks, and live for him with the joy of this liberating word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the Redeemer who came, the Lord Jesus Christ, to rescue us. And we pray that we would live with such gratitude and thankfulness and new life because of what he's done for us. Lord, if we're here this morning and, and we feel that we are low or we are struggling, help us to lift up our eyes away from ourselves to him and find our hope in him. And Lord, if maybe we've never, ever done that before, might today be the day when we do that and find, through repenting of our sin and trusting in Christ, find the riches of your grace, forgiveness and life forevermore. Help us, Lord, and speak to us, we pray, for his sake. Amen.